Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 83. It opens the door for banks to look at the recoveries they have from insurance across the full breadth of their book, whatever the approach, AIRB, FIRB, standardized even, etc. The regulator, while trying to establish a level playing field for all banks, either small or large. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Credit risk insurance is a vital instrument for bank risk and capital management and for facilitating lending to the real economy. It's particularly used by European banks as they operate in a more intermediated financial system. Today, we caught up with Celia Kalak and Jean-Marie from IFA's Insurance Committee to discuss their recently launched position paper discussing the strength and specificity of credit insurance used by banks when supporting the activities of their customers, which has been shared with the European Commission and other regulators. Celia, Jean-Marie, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Hi, Dipesh. Good to be there. Hi, Dipesh. I'm glad to be here as well. Brief introduction, and I'm sure you don't need a much of an introduction to our listeners. They know you well. But if I can ask you both to briefly summarize who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Celia, over to you. Know me as a board member of ITFA and head of the insurance committee of ITFA. I also have a day-to-day job. And at the moment, I'm heading the global transaction banking distribution team for continental Europe of Banco Santa. But prior to that, I was also working as the surety underwriter for Swiss Re and even prior to that, another bank with Unicredit. So I'm like, I have experienced both sides of the business, the insurance and the bank world. Thank you very much. And Jean-Marie, over to you. I'm Jean-Marie Selkoubi. I look after credit insurance at ING. I've been doing that for a number of years and uh, I'm also a member of the insurance committee of ITFA. Thank you very much. So Celia, what does ITFA do? And more specifically, what are the main functions of insurance committee? ITFA has presently over 260 members. We have, of course, still the larger part is banks. I would say we have about half of our members are banks, but nearly a third is related to the insurance world. So insurers, underwriters, brokers. Then we have also, of course, fintechs, lawyers, others who help. Basically, they are all part of ITFA because the idea of ITFA is to help facilitate the interaction between different players in the global transaction banking market to mitigate and distribute risk. So when I was in the board of ITFA and in 2014, I changed from Unicredit to Swiss Re, as I said. At that time, we noticed actually how important insurance is for our members and how more and more of us are really actively using the insurance tool to facilitate our business. So we decided to establish insurance committee, which does exactly that, help our members to use the insurance product. And here we do work on standardization of documentation, explanation, training, but also now more and more important part is the work with regulators, advocacy work to make the product more viable for our members. Celia, can you talk about the importance of credit insurance for bank risk and capital management, which ensures, as it for quotes, some 600 billion euros of lending to the real economy and also its importance to trade finance? 
Yeah, so as you may recall, ITFA made in 2019 a survey where we found out that approximately 600 billion of um, real economy was facilitated thanks to banks using insurance. ITFA has together has partnered with IACPM and just released a new survey, which just came out now, and which shows that the use of insurance remains stable and even more banks are now using the tool of insurance to help their customers in their trade finance and global transaction activities throughout the world. And one finding which is also important, I think, and very interesting, I think, is that actually insurance is a key competence of European banks. So European banks are even stronger in the use of insurance. Jean-Marie, what's Solvency 2 and what were the impacts of this on the credit insurance market? And also, can you explain what Basel 3 is? That's a big question that would require a lot of time, uh, Deepesh. But uh, high level, Solvency 2 is the prudential regulation that applies to insurers. And Basel 3 is the current banking regulation, prudential regulation that applies to banks. Solvency 2 has been there for a while, since 2004, basically. What we've seen is that it's helped EU insurers. So it's an EU regulation and it's helped insurers be stronger in the way they manage their balance sheet and their capital. Everything is designed to protect the policyholder. That's the first goal of Solvency 2. And the bar is very high. They need to keep capital basically for a one in 200 year event. They need to have capital available for 99.5% percent of any loss that could occur. This is more complicated than that, but high level, that's what it means. Basel III is, as most people know, the regulation applying to banks, which is now going to change. And we people call it different ways, but let's call it Basel for our purpose. And that will change uh, 1st of January 2025. These two pieces of regulations are very separate and they address different constituencies, insurers and banks. But the credit insurance project is actually arranging for transfers of risk between banks and insurers. So we need to look at both to address this topic. Thank you very much for clearly stating that difference. And I guess, Celia, that falls into my next question. Can you outline the rationale, therefore, behind IPFA's recent position paper that you launched just this week? Of course. So while establishing these new Basel rules, which Jean-Maurice has just explained, we discovered two, three years ago when we started this advocacy action that actually the regulator, while trying to establish a level playing field for all banks, either small or large, they had an oversight which had an unintended consequence, at least we think unintended consequence, on the use of the credit risk insurance product. This stems from the fact that an insurance can have two roles when interacting with a bank. It can be on the one hand side a borrower. So a bank can borrow money to the insurance company or it can be a protection provider. And when the insurer acts as a protection provider, the bank becomes a senior lender, so to say, because of this solvency too, which Jean-Marie explained to you. So by applying under the new um, Basel IV regime, the same LGD question, 
quite restrictive LGD, we think, whether you are in the position of lending money to an insurance or whether you are in the position of being an insured, we think is not justified and will have a serious impact on how banks can use the insurance product and therefore impact this 600 billion of real economy, which is facilitated thanks to insurance. Thank you. I think those unintended consequences are really important considerations for credit risk insurance. Jean-Marie, what is a loss given default or LDG and why are the current 45% levels contention points as mentioned in Basel III? When we people talk about LGD and the LGD, not the LDG, that's loss given default, which is a key component of the equation to get to risk-weighted assets. The other components are exposure at default, which is a fairly simple. Let's think of it as uh, the principal outstanding on a loan. And then PD, probability of default. So it's the combination of those three plus a maturity that produce for people, banks that have um, complex models, capital treatment models, produce the risk-weighted assets of a bank. And risk-weighted assets of a bank, potentially more costs or can be equated to cost, let's say. 45% is a level that we've always advocated was too high. It's very similar to what the ECB says we should have on LBO, leverage buyouts, which is quite at the riskier end of the spectrum. It is higher than the LGD recommended for corporates, which is at 40%, which again, doesn't seem right when you think that insurers are as regulated as banks, both from a capital or liquidity point of view. So we have a series of arguments, basically, that back up the fact that we feel 45 is just not the appropriate level. I think some of those points are going into a bit more detail in the position paper. And what is the European Commission's Capital Requirements Regulation, or CRR2, and why does it believe a revision of this is required? Right now, we are under CRR2, which is the European transposition of Basel III. When Basel IV is uh, implemented by Europe, it will be called CR3. The goal of Basel IV was always to create more simplicity and more of a level playing field, eliminate the variability of models across banks. And we welcome that. Often this comes with a one-size-fits-all attitude or recommendation, which might not be reflective of reality. And that's what's happening with this 45% level. It also stems from the fact that the regulator, whether it's the Basel Committee or the European regulators, never thought about credit insurance when they developed the first rules, CR2 Basel 3. So this is why the current legislation is probably not well adapted to this product. That's what we're trying to tackle. And we've struck a first victory victory in a sense that after a lot of advocacy for the past two and a half years, the commission came out with a first draft at the end of October, which put credit insurance on the map for the first time ever. We're delighted with that. It comes with a request for a report from the European Banking Authority, the EBA, which is typical of the workings of European legislation. The Commission doesn't have the manpower to get into the more technical subjects, so they always mandate the EBA to do that. So we have another marathon looming of discussions with the EBA about what the right level should be 
for this LGD when we use insurance as a credit risk mitigate. And we'll have to share a lot of data with them and have a number of discussions. At least a first victory has been obtained and we welcome that uh, dialogue that uh, is ahead of us. Thanks, Jean-Marie. Celia, what are IFA's thoughts on the CRR 3's proposed timelines? We have two slight issues with that. So as Jean-Maurice said exactly now, the Commission in its proposal opened the door to discussions. They admitted that there needs to be given a second thought on the topic of insurance. So that's fantastic. Nevertheless, the CR3 should be implemented in 24 and should be implemented immediately. If I think there should be a transition phase for existing insurance contracts, we are otherwise afraid that there will be a disruption of the market for our existing transaction and that this will create too much uncertainty and banks will be reluctant to use the insurance product in the meantime, which could have a quick and direct impact on the transactions we can do with our customers and therefore on the real economy, mainly in Europe. So this is why we ask a transition period we have also drafted an amendment for that, which you can find in our position paper. Second point, which we have an issue with, is that the A report, which Jean-Maurice just explained, this assessment which the European Banking Authority should do, for this, the European Commission gives time until end of 2026. And we think that's much too long, because in between the implementation and 2020, end of 2026, there might be already serious impact on the insurance offer available for banks because of this high LGD and therefore we say this time needs to be shortened. Timelines shortened there and and also requesting that transition period. Jean-Marie, what are your proposed recommendations for the LGD for both unsecured insured exposures and secured insured exposures? On this point, we've been very clear from the start that we thought what would be helpful to make sure that the product stays relevant and efficient for banks, we need a certain level of LGD. If it's unsecured the underlying exposure, and therefore we're just facing the insurance as a credit risk mitigant, we would like it to be at around 20%. So half of what uh, is proposed right now for secured insured exposures. Let me be clear on that. So that means we have not only a recourse to the borrower, which we normally do, and uh, when the borrower has defaulted, we normally recover something. So the loss given default is less than the total principal. But we also have the insurer and we have a third recourse to some sort of security. And security, I mean, the Basel IV will also change very much how we account for security. But if we have a mortgage on a ship or a property, that's hard security, which we have also recourse to in the sense that we can enforce it and recoup our loan. So we have three ways of recouping our exposure as a bank. And all this is contractually documented. It can be done in parallel. It's distinct recourses. And we think this is worth an even lower LGD to account for all that combined recourse. And we think it should be at around 10 or 15 
5%, which is consistent, by the way, with um, LGD floors under the AIRB approach. In terms of Article 181, which I asked, can you explain what that is? And also, what are the new additions for Article 181? This is uh, getting into a very arcane territory, Deepesh. And we were in our engagement meetings, we were, the regulators pointed out this article to us, which is different from the main article that we talked about, which is Article 506. That's where we have this enabling clause and this uh, first victory, you know, that we can engage with EBA on the product itself. Article 181 is, there are a few additions, and just to remain high level on this one, it opens the door for banks to look at the recoveries they have from insurance across the full breadth of their book, whatever the approach, AIRB, FIRB, standardized even, etc., make then informed decisions about the right level of LGD if they follow the AIRB approach. The problem with that is that a lot of banks under Basel IV may switch from AIRB to FIRB for huge chunks of their book. The scope of application of this article might not be so wide. And then there will still be floors under this approach. An AIRB approach will mean basically a modeling approach where you still stuck with the PD of your borrower. And so what you gain potentially on the LGD, you will lose on the PD. Complex stuff, but and we'll find out more as we engage with the EBA at some point. There will still be a very much a dichotomy between an AIRB approach where we are taking into account the very good track record of uh, banks claiming from insurers and receiving money on time and in full, but being stuck with the PD of the borrower, an FIRB approach, foundation approach, which is really where I think the regulators want to push the banks, where there will be a substitution, a mandated substitution approach, where we get the benefit of a PD of an insurer, who's usually a well-rated entity, better than the corporate, and therefore we gain a little bit there. But we will have an LGD, which hopefully is not 45%. It will be lower, but it might not be as low as we wish. Still complex thing to deal with going forward in the Basel for banks and maybe not as reflective of the true reality of the product. Absolutely, but really important to portray those and also really good work from yourselves and the IFA Credit Insurance Committee for putting those recommendations forward. So thank you very much, both of you, for giving a bit of an overview you on this position paper, the rationale and, and your key recommendations. Celia, what's next for IFA's Credit Insurance Committee and what's on the horizon for the remainder of the year? Jean-Maurice has just mentioned this enabling clause will lead us now through a marathon of negotiations as the proposal moves through Parliament. So we will pursue our dialogue together with our advocacy um, consultant, which is a four. I hope we will soon have the possibility to allow our members to get to know so a four. In this dialogue, we continue to speak with, on the one hand side, the regulators, the members of parliament, the member states, but of course, also, as Jean-Maurice mentioned, we need to engage with the supervisors. So here, mainly EIB to help.
help us, EBA, exactly, to work us on the report, but also IOPA, which is the supervisory authority for insurers, to get this right. And then we are now also supported by industry representatives, so large corporate customers of our banks who understand how important insurance in this field and who support our purpose. But the insurance committee does not only work in this regulatory field, as you probably all know. We are also working on an insurance event this year, as we can luckily again meet in person. And we are thinking of maybe having an insurance award created from ITFA. We also continue to bring webinars to you. So there will certainly be soon a webinar on this topic also, where we explain our position paper more in detail to the ITFA members. We continue to work on standardization of wording and here specifically with the um, credit risk insurance wording, which is already released in Europe and which shall now have a version in New York law. And we are also preparing a white paper on insurtech. So how can fintechs help facilitate the interaction between insurance and banks? Thank you very much, Celia. And I think one final plug, and TFG are delighted to announce we're media partnering with you in Porto on the 7th to 9th of September 2022 at the 48th ITFA annual conference. So uh, to our listeners, please save the date. And Celia, Jean-Marie, we also look forward to catching up with you in person later on this year. Thank you very much, both of you, for talking through the position paper. It's really good to have you on Trade Finance Talks and see you soon. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.